want to talk to you this morning about the heart of worship. The heart of worship. We're kind of coming into uh, the landing spot of summer, right? August is a little bit is a little bit like you know school is starting soon. Sports are gearing up. We're trying to get our last bit of summer in, and this dang smoke kind of ruins it, doesn't it? And, uh, and I hate that, but at the same time, here we are, we're kind of at the end of summer, and here, if you're like me, one of the challenges I think that all of us experience that are part of the church is during the summer, we like to camp, we like to play, we like to go boning, we like to go on vacations, but part of what can happen is we can tend to drift a little bit in our relationship to God. And if we're not careful, we could find ourselves kind of at the end of the summer feeling a little bit distant from God, not being as involved in our church. And, and that was never God's heart and intention. In fact, as some of the staff and I and our leadership, we were praying into, because I really sense that God is doing something in this season. You know that understand that God works in seasons. He works in seasons. And, and last week I preached a message about sowing and reaping. And, and oftentimes the seeds that... Uh, that you sowed in one season, you don't see the fulfillment of it until another season. But God is always working in seasons. What he does in the natural, he's always doing in the spiritual. And that's why we have different seasons, spring, fall, winter, all those things. And, and you have to sometimes discern, spiritually speaking, as a leader, what season you're in. And as we were talking and praying as a leadership team, we really felt like we're in a season, and this is what I heard the Lord speak. It's time to open back up the altars. And I said, God, what do you mean by that? He said, my church has kind of closed up the altar. And I'm not telling you, I didn't feel like he was talking about our church in particular, but the church in general. And he says, it's time to open back up the altar. And as I started praying into that more, we, we agreed as a team that at the end of our services, we want to leave some room for God to do what he wants to do. But we want to open up this altar. It's the altar represents the place of worship. The altar represents the place where you bring an offering to the Lord, where you sacrifice something, you lay down something, you, you give God something that is a sacrifice, that, that actually, as David would say, I, I will not give to the Lord something that doesn't cost me something. Yeah. A sacrifice costs you something. And I think if we're not careful, in, in our modern day Americanized and somewhat culturally and secularized church, we have to be careful that we don't become more discipled by our culture than we do by the word of God. And I'm afraid that we, we've allowed some of the world to creep into our heart and kind of taint, or if you will, misplace what worship really is. In fact, uh, when, I, when I was studying this, and most of us would think, you know, worship, when, when we think of worship, what comes to mind readily is what we just did. It's, oh, I know worship. Worship is singing. But, but I want to I help us in fact, we, we did not have a worship series. We didn't have a series, a message series planned for the month of August. We, we planned to just do one-off messages, which, which I love, where I just seek God and, and he gives me a message or whoever speaking gives us a message. And then we had a message series planned, which is going to be awesome in September, about God and culture. And I hope that you'll bring your friends and neighbors in that because, man, I've been praying to that, studying for it, preparing for it. And we're going to talk about some hot topics we're going to talk about God and politics, God and culture, God and sexuality, and some of the things that we see happening in our culture today that I believe we need to bring biblical truth to. 
And I also believe that the church needs to be speaking up on these topics because the world is screaming them. Your kids are getting bombarded with them. And unless the church starts speaking the truth to the people of God and to the world about what the truth of God and the word of God says about these topics, I think that's part of the problem why we are being more cultured and discipled by our culture than the word of God. So we're, we're going we're gonna to dive into this message series. We don't have a name for it yet, but um, it's going to be good. But as I was praying this week, I went to Jess and I was like, hey, I'm really feeling that God is stirring in me a message series. And I know we didn't have time to plan this, but I really feel like God is doing something and he wants us to lay our lives back down on the altar. And so we, we this day, right now, this is the first message in a message series that really has been inspired by the Holy Spirit called the altered life. And it's what our life looks like when we lay our life down on the altar of God. Listen, most of us, we want to see things changed in our life. But I'm telling you, the way that your life is changed, the way that your life gets altered, isn't by you trying to change it, it's actually by you laying it down on the altar of God and giving it to him as an offering. And letting him have full control, first place of your heart and when you, in your life. And when you do that, he said, there's a promise. He says, seek me first and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, you're, you're trying to change all these things in your life. But the problem is that you didn't put me first in your heart. And you're not really worshiping me. You're worshiping all these other things. And if you would just put me first place, if you would lay down your life on the altar, that's how your life gets altered. That's how you're changed. And so I believe that as the church, my heart for me personally and my heart to lead you and me in this season is that I believe God is saying it's time to get back to the heart of worship. And so we're gonna take a look at through this whole series, what is worship? Because I think for a lot of us, we've forgotten really what worship is and what it's all about. And we think it's a service. We think it's singing a few songs. And worship is so much more than that. In fact, I just want to start out by saying that you were created to worship. You were made to worship. Like God, the way he formed you, the way he shaped you, he made you so that there's something inside of you that has to worship. And, and listen, if you don't worship the right things, you're going to end up worshiping, worshiping the wrong things. Because you were created to worship, if you don't worship God, you're going to find something to worship. Now, just to give you a simple definition of worship, I love this definition. Worship is love expressed. It's what you really love. It's what you, what you value is what you end up worshiping. And here's the thing. What you worship is what has your attention. And what has your attention gets your mind. And what gets your head eventually gets your heart. And what gets your heart eventually gets your hands. So we have to be very careful what we worship because what we worship, we become like, and it gets in you. But Isaiah 43, 21 gives us some insight to this. It says, this is God speaking. He says, the people I formed for myself. You have to understand that you were made for God. Life isn't about you. I know that I know that a lot of us think the world revolves around us, but reality check, you were made for God, not God for you. But if we're not careful, we can start thinking that God is a genie in a bottle, that he's some vending machine that we can put in a quarter of singing a song or two or, or spending time with God and throw up a prayer or read our Bible and we did a good thing and we put in our quarter and we pull the machine and God, now you need to give me what I want. 
And so I have a question for you, and it's a legitimate question I've been asking myself. And I think we need to ask in the church, and it's this. Have we misplaced worship? And I don't mean like, have we forgot about it? I mean, have we missed the place of worship in our lives? In other words, from time to time, all of us, we have a tendency to drift from God, and we have a tendency to let some things into our heart and into our lives, and if we're not careful, those things can take the place of God or trump him in our hearts. Now, I know we're coming into a season, and don't throw stones at me, where, you know, there's this little oval brown ball that a season is about to start, and for many of us, we're going to plan to come to first service because we can go home and watch our, our favorite team, second service, or sometimes we don't come to church at all and worship God because we worship this little ball. No right? <laughs> For many of us, we're going to go into a season, not to pick on the guys, but we're going to worship these creatures in the forest with big horns that we want to put on our wall. Ladies, before you get too comfortable... There's Prime Day coming up, <laughs> right? And Way Day, and there's Black Friday. And for a lot of us, we love shopping. And if we're not careful, some of these things can become just that. They can become things that take the place of God in our heart. Now listen to me, you need to hear this. God, God wants you to enjoy your life. He, doesn't, he wants you to enjoy those things. They have a place in our lives. They just don't have first place. And our worship gets misplaced when we allow those things to take, take the place of God in our lives. And so I believe we need to get back to the heart of worship. And, and now Paul understood this. Now listen, Paul would speak to the church in Rome and he would hit it head on in chapter one. And he was speaking into a culture that I believe is a lot like the culture we live in today. And he was warning them to the people who know God, who believed in God. And I want you to listen to this because I felt like this is a prophecy. It was a prophetic warning to us who are living in 2023. He said this, Romans chapter one, verse 21. Verse 23, for although, listen, although they knew God, he's not talking to people who don't know God. He's talking to the people who know God, who've encountered his love, who have encountered his grace and his mercy. Although they knew God, listen, they neither glorified him as God. In other words, they, they didn't leave him in the place of first place on the throne of their heart, nor gave thanks to him, worship, praise, but they're thinking this is a result when worship becomes misplaced. Their thinking became futile. Now, many of you may not understand that word futile. It simply means nothing. Like they're, they're thinking about things that don't really matter in the big picture of life and eternity. They're thinking about foolish things, like things that they're here today, gone tomorrow. When we get to heaven, they're not gonna really matter. They don't really matter in our life. But that's what we spend our mind share thinking about when we misplace worship. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts became darkened. And this is what happens when we misplace worship. First, it starts in our mind. We start thinking about just foolish stuff, things that don't really matter in life. And then our hearts slowly over time get a little bit darkened, a little bit darkened, and, and we, we miss, we come into a service like this and people are worshiping God, but our hearts aren't there. And we feel distant from God and we, God, where, I don't, 
I don't feel you like I once did. I don't sense your presence in my life. I don't have that peace. I don't have that joy down deep in my heart. I don't have it. It's just not there. And then he goes on to say in verse 22, although they claim to be wise, and man, we're living in an age where everybody thinks they're the smartest person in the room. They got all the answers. They know it all. And although they claim to be wise, they became fools. And check this out. You got to get this. And then what happens is they exchange the glory of an immortal God for images that made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And you're like, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Lance. Like, I don't worship no reptiles. Oh, yeah, but you might worship this little apple. You might worship this thing called money. I don't know what it is that you worship, but I can tell you this. I went to the, I went to, uh, movies the other day, saw an awesome movie, Sound of Freedom. By the way, if you have not seen that movie, you need to go see it and support it. Amazing movie. Hard to watch. I'm warning you. Hard to watch, but such a good movie. You need to see it. Um, but it was amazing to me how I went in, my mom and I went, and we got there just a little bit late to the movie theater, but the movie theater was packed. And I share that with you because it's always amazed me how when we go to the movies, we go on time, we get our popcorn, we get our soda, and we're there on time, we watch the previews, but a church service happens, and y'all are rolling in 15 minutes after and missing half of worship. And I don't say that to condemn you, but I just say it because if we're not careful, we can start valuing the wrong things and we don't think of our worship being that important or, or coming into this place and worshiping God together. But I'm telling you, when you have a heart to worship, it's like, man, this is the most important thing I do in the week. And it's not that that church, it, you know, takes the place. We, listen, we should be building altars in our homes of worship. We should be worshiping in our homes. God forbid, I worship before I ever come here. So I'm full of worship when I get here. It's an overflow of the worship in my private life. But I'm telling you, there's something powerful when the church comes together and makes this a priority. And this is my highest value. This is the most important thing that we do. Listen, let me tell you something. Uh, parents, if, you're, if you are not instilling that in your kids, you are instilling that, that this isn't first place. Like other things, and there's nothing wrong. Listen, hear my heart, please. There's nothing wrong with going camping for the weekend and missing church, okay? If that's the occasional thing, but when that becomes the thing and church starts dropping down the ladder of second, third, fourth, it's no wonder we're losing our kids to, to the world. I mean, not to toot our horn, we haven't done everything right. Trust me, I have not been the best dad. But one thing we always say, it, it, if you're breathing, you're going to church on Sunday. Like you're coming with us. Why? Because I believe there's a couple things. I just want to hit on them very quickly that I think we can misplace for true and proper worship. And the first one is this, feelings. Right? I don't feel like getting up to go to church today. My kids say that. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. Right, we could come in, and this is, this is countercultural, y'all. This is exactly what the world is trying to tell you. It's all about how you feel. It's all about what makes you happy. Do what feels good. Do what feels right to you. That's your right. That's your truth. 
Live your truth. Live how you feel, right? And we've allowed this to creep into the way we worship. We come into a service like this and it's like, man, I'm tired. I don't really feel like worshiping God. And you know what? I don't like this song that they're playing. This isn't my favorite song. I'm just going to wait until my favorite song comes out until, I'm feel, until I feel it. When I feel it, that's, what, that's when I'll, do so, I'll worship God. Listen, true, proper worship is not about your feelings. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a what? A sacrifice of praise. Man, sometimes I've had a rough week. Sometimes I'm going through something, right? Some of y'all, you got into a fight with your wife on the way here, your kids, you're throwing shoes at them in the back while you're coming in the van, right? And you, you didn't have your coffee and you're grumpy, you're tired, and you come into a service like this and you're like, I don't, want, I don't want to worship God. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like raising my hands. I don't feel like singing. Or how about this one? I worship God to get some holy goosebumps. If I don't feel the tinglys, if I don't feel his presence, then God isn't here. I came to feel, I, I came to get my fill of God. I want to get filled up with God. Let me tell you something. That is a byproduct of worshiping God, not the reason we do it. God help us if we ever worship God for a feeling. God help us, and this is why sometimes I believe, this, I went through a season like this, I felt like God removed me feeling his presence. And you might say, that's kind of weird. No, God allows you to go through desert seasons. And we don't get this, but I believe that part of the reason God allows us to go through seasons where we don't feel or sense his presence is so that we will press into it. Come on, the kingdom comes from those who forcefully take it. The kingdom comes from those who press into God. They don't shrink back, right? If I don't sense his presence, that it's not because he's moved, it's because I've moved. And we don't worship God for a feeling. It's a byproduct. The Bible says that he envelops the praises of his people. So when we praise him, when we give him our heart of worship, it attracts the presence of God. And that's why, just like we did a little while ago, we encounter the reality, his manifest presence becomes real to us and we feel his presence. Now there's nothing wrong with feeling. God made you to feel. He gave us emotions. And I think a big part of worship is expressing our love and there's feelings that come with that. But we don't do it for the feeling. We do it to give him glory. We do it to give him praise and honor that he is due. That is the heart of worship. It's a byproduct. It's not why we do it. The second thing is this. If we're not careful, we can get into consumerism. Now, we live in a culture where we have been conditioned to be consumers. Right? Have it your way. Shoot. I love my son, but that boy probably, he, 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 uh, he helps donate to Uber Eats, okay? I, my, my wife and I come home, and he's always ordering something on DoorDash or Uber Eats. And, and we have been so conditioned to be served, to, to you do for me. Like, and if we're not careful, this, that mentality can creep into the way we see church, that I come to church not to be a contributor, not to be a part of the church, but to be somebody who comes and, and just observes or like consumes, like I wanna consume good worship, I wanna consume a good message, like give it to me, I need, me, I, I need to get my fill, I need you to strengthen me, and all those things, that's a part of it, 
But that's not what we're called. We're called to contribute. Listen, you're, you're, part of, you're part of the worship team. Like the way I see myself, I'm not, I'm not the worship leader, but I'm the worship leader of this church. And so that's why I, sit, I stand here. I'm going to worship my guts out. And there's sometimes I worship so loud I almost lose my voice and I can't preach to you. But you know what? I don't care because I love Jesus and I want to worship him and I want to lead you in the charge to worship. But it takes a community to contribute to the worship. There's something so beautiful when the congregation worships together. Some of the most powerful moments aren't when these guys are leading and they do such an amazing job at that. But some of the most powerful moments is when the spontaneous worship starts coming out. One person just starts thanking God, praising God, and another person starts thanking God, praising God, and people start singing out, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God says, I'm gonna land on that. That's what I love. I'm gonna meet you right there. And all of a sudden God starts moving, and he starts drawing people's hearts, and people start worshiping and praising him more and more, and it becomes contagious. The third thing that we can do to misplace true worship is we could get stuck in our traditions. It's a big one in the church. And, and I just want to talk to some of my silver saints for just a moment. Because I love you so much and I value you. No, really. I truly mean that. You could ask me from day one. I said, we need the older generation. And the Bible is clear that I, I always pray that we're an intergenerational church. We're not a multi-generational church. Because a multi-generational church says that we have multiple generations represented in the church. That's wonderful. What's better is an intergenerational church. That means the generations are entwined. That means that the older generation, old men are dreaming dreams and seeing visions, and then they're imparting it to the younger generation. And the things, listen to me, the things that you've gone through, you have wisdom, you have life experience that a younger generation needs. We need you. But we don't need you to stay stuck in your traditions. Because revival probably isn't going to come the way it did. And I know y'all love the bushes on the stage, the plastic trees and stuff, and the old, like, speakers and everything. And some of you, you hate the haze, and you hate the lights and the black. Why the black? And why are the colors on the walls? And why this stuff? And why do we got to sing songs like that? Why can't we sing some good old hymns? And we will, and we do. But listen, if we stay stuck in tradition, we can miss the new thing that God is trying to do right now. And God is always doing a new thing. And yes, the church evolves and we, in practice, we might do things different, but the heart is the same. Look for the heart. Don't look for the colors on the walls. Don't look for that. Look for the heart. That's what I would tell anybody looking for a church. Look for the heart. If the heart is wrong, then y'all can call us on that. But I'm telling you, our heart is for God, to go after God, to worship him. Listen, in Matthew 15, 3, think about this for a minute. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day when Jesus walked the earth and was doing miracles, they missed Jesus because they couldn't see past their tradition. Matthew 15, 3, Jesus replied to them. He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your what? Tradition. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, and this should cut us to the core. Should have cut them to the core. But he didn't come the way they wanted him to. They didn't, he didn't come the way they, he, they expected him to. They expected him to be an earthly king. 
They expected him to come and, and raise up an army on the earth at that moment and dethrone Rome and lead them back to a place where they were a nation once again without somebody ruling over them. And because he didn't come the way they wanted him to or expected him to because of their tradition, they missed Jesus right in front of them. And we could be in danger of the same thing, missing Jesus right in our midst because we're not, we're looking for him how he came in the past and we don't recognize him in the present. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And when that happens, he says, you're worshiping me in vain. In other words, all you're singing, all that, it doesn't matter because you didn't do it with the right heart. The last thing is this, pride. Pride can get in the way of our heartfelt worship. For many of us, I, you know, I remember after I got saved, and many of you probably relate to this, and I started going to a charismatic church, I was uncomfortable. Like, and many of you probably maybe were this morning with the way that we worship as a church. Yeah, we're rowdy, we get loud, we yell, we clap, we raise our hands. And I love it. I love every minute of it. I, I wish we would get more rowdy. I wish we would get a little bit more undignified. I'd be down with that. I would love to see this altar, just people full of worshiping God, dancing before the Lord, not caring what other people think about it. I, but I remember when I first got saved and I had a heart I, and I saw people lifting their hands and I was uncomfortable, but there was something in my spirit that said, I want to do that. I want to worship God, and you know, it's just awkward, you know? You think people are watching you, so you're kind of like, mm, Jesus. And, and you know, and then you, then you get the courage to kind of just do the, the halfway hold the TV thing, right? And you lift your hand a little bit, and then, and then you have the courage to just lift it a little more, and there's something when you get those hands lifted high, and it's just like, oh man, this is awesome. And then you, you get caught up in the moment and you forget that there's people around you. And then for a moment, you open your eyes like you remember and then you're looking around like anybody looking at me. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody cares. <laughs> but the devil will try to make you think they are to keep you and your pride from entering into worship. And we gotta be careful of that because here there, there's a principle in, in preaching and teaching called the law, of the law of first mentions. And what it states is that the, anytime that something is first mentioned in the word of God carries a little bit more significance to it. And so you have to go back, when you go back and look at the law of first mentions from, from worship, here's something that you, you and I have to understand about worship. That God designated Lucifer, one of the three archangels in heaven, to be the wor worship leader in heaven that he was an angel of light and that he was created to lead all of heaven in worship to God. But he let his heart get misplaced just like we can. And I wanna read you the account in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. You gotta get this, this is significant. He says this, this is God speaking to Lucifer who at this point has fallen. By the way, most scholars believe that Satan was cast out and Jesus would say himself, I saw Satan cast out of heaven like lightning. Like, there's no fight. Like, you know, we, we see in movies the battle between good and evil. There's no battle. God says, out and boom, he fell like lightning. 
There's no, is God stronger, is Satan stronger? No, you're, with the spoken word, he fell from heaven like lightning to the earth. And this is what, this is the account of it. Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations with your worship, with leading worship. You laid low the nations because worship is warfare. And he goes into verse 13. He says this. You said in your what? Your heart. I will. Now, people call this the five I wills. I will, and listen to the language, ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. Verse 14. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And listen, he got cast out of heaven. And it goes on to say this in, in Isaiah 14, 11, your pomp, your pride brought you down to Sheol, hell. And the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and the worms cover you. Actually, I wanted the, the, the verse before I skipped it, but it says, God says you were anointed. And, and by saying that, he was saying that you had power from on high to lead all of heaven in worship. Can I tell you something? That anointing didn't leave. He's still anointed in worship. This is why what you listen to matters. Because what you listen to gets in your head. What gets into your head eventually makes it down to your heart. This is why in 1980, when Ozzy Osbourne came out with the song Suicide Solution, there was an increase 400% in suicides that year. You think, you think songs don't matter? You don't think he's still anointed? He was cast down to the earth. And now his main objective is to try to woo your heart and my heart and pull you away from worshiping God and try to get you to worship anything but the most high. Look what he did in the Garden of Eden. He said, did God really say? No. He doesn't want you to eat off tree because he knows if you eat off that tree, you'll become like him. I will become like the most high. He was trying to take what he did and put it into Adam and Eve so he could pull them away from the presence of God and being in relationship with God. And if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to us. And watch this. I want you to see this. I already shared. You can put that last verse up in Isaiah 14.1. Isaiah 14.1. It says this. Isaiah 14, 1. Your pomp, your pride has brought you down to hell and the sound of, listen, your stringed instrument. Now, I've got a point in sharing this with you. Now, jump to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13. You were in Eden, okay? So he was there as a serpent, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He was covered, covered. This is why he was called beautiful. And he let his pride get to him. He was covered and adorned in all these precious jewels and gold. He was, he was a beautiful creature, and it says, the, now, verse 13, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, I'm going to pause right there. Well, this is where it says, verse 14. Go to that, and then let's go back to verse 13. You were the anointed cherub who covers. In other words, you covered heaven with your worship. But now, going back to verse 13, can I tell you that the way that Lucifer, this angel of worship, was created... By the way, there were three, this is a side note, three archangels in heaven. 
It was Lucifer, the angel of worship. It was Michael, the warring angel, the, the angel of prayer, and Gabriel, the messenger of the word of God. Worship, prayer, and the word. This is why a worship service should have all three elements as a part of it. Worship, prayer, and the word of God. Just a side note. But God tasked Lucifer as being the angel of worship and within his being, listen to this, he was created within his being. Most scholars believe that he didn't just lead worship, he was worship. He had string instruments as part of his created being. That he had wind instruments as part of the, that word, uh, timbrels and pipes, pipes is wind. Timbrels are cymbals, percussion. Do you know that in an orchestra, like a 50 piece orchestra, an orchestra is, there's three sections to an orchestra. There's percussion, there's wind, and there's strings. Lucifer, the worship leader in heaven, had the ability to have all three within his created being. Think about that. Now he was cast out of heaven and thrown to the earth, and now he's trying to pull your heart and my heart away from worshiping God, and God says, who's gonna rise up and be the worship leader on earth? You are. You're the worship leader on earth. Why? What? You're the worship leader on earth. Listen, you got a winged instrument, you got wind instrument inside your lungs, you got breath, to praise the, let every breath praise the Lord. You got strings, your vocal cords are made up of two strings, and you got these things right here. You got percussion. You were born to worship. You were created to worship your creator. But if we're not careful, we could start to misplace our worship and we could start to worship created things rather than the creator. So to tie this all together, well, what do I do, Pastor Lance? What is the heart of worship? <laughs> it's really simple, and I mean that. God wants first place in your heart. Don't allow yourself to misplace worship. God wants first place in your heart. And I think it's time that we as the church got back to the heart of worship. That worship is so much more than our singing. Actually, when you break down the word worship, it's broken down to were, W-O-R, and ship. Let me break this down for you. Were, the root word means worth or worthy. Ship means the value or condition of something. So worship is the worth or value of, that you place on something. Our worship is our life. It's the way that we live our life. It's so much more than singing, clapping. Yes, that's a part of our worship, but when we gave at the beginning of the service, that's part of our worship. When we remember God, that's part of our worship. When you go to work tomorrow, that's part of your worship. It's what you value most is what you worship. And so what do we need to do? I believe that as the church and as individuals, and I've been doing this, I've been, I've been grieving, God, forgive me. I need to repent. Repentance comes from the Greek word menanoia, which simply means to change your mind. Like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit is showing me through this message that I'm looking at worship all wrong. 
then I need to change the way that I see worship, that it's so much more than my singing, that it's the way that I live my life. Look at James 4, 8, and the Amplified Classic Version says this, come close to God and he will come close to you. Let me translate that for you. Right now, you're as close to God as you want to be. Why? Because there's a promise. If you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. But look what it says. Recognize that you are a sinner. Get your soiled hands clean and realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals and divided interests. And purify what? Your hearts of spiritual adultery. James talk about a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. Listen, Jesus would say, you can't serve God and money. You're going to hate the one, despise the other. And for many of us, we got one foot in with God and one foot in the world. And if we're going to be honest with each other, we've been disloyal. We haven't put God first in our lives. And ultimately, that is worship. Romans 12, 1, Paul, again, speaking to the church in Rome, would say this, therefore, listen, I urge you. That word is, I beg you to do what? What, Paul? My brothers and sisters, in view, listen, I love this. You've got to get this. Well, how do I do it? It doesn't start by doing it. It starts with focusing your attention on God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, when I think of his goodness, when I think of how much I should be dead right now, I shouldn't even be here, but God in his grace and his mercy, he saved me. He poured out his love for me. He changed me. He changed my life, my family. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. So I put in view, in my view, I'm looking at the mercy of God and because of it, my heart starts to well up with gratitude. And I start to thank him. And, I, and here's the response. God, you've been so good to me. I'm gonna offer myself as a living sacrifice. I'm gonna give you me. That's all he's ever wanted. He's wanted you. And that sacrifice is holy and it's pleasing to God. And guess what? This is your true and proper worship. So here's what I wanna tell you. Offering yourself to God is, is your greatest act of worship. So practically, what does this look like? I love the Message Bible. It's so just down to earth and real. This is what it says in Romans 12, 1, what we just read in the Message Version. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing that you could do for him. Don't become well adjust, so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll become changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of immaturity, God is bringing out the best in you develops well-formed maturity in you. This is how we're changed. This is how we're altered when we live an altered life. It's all on the altar, God. I'm offering myself to you. There'll be a chime, and I'll end with this, that um, Jesus would encounter a woman 
at the well. She went to the well at an odd time of day because she was ashamed of her life. She had lived with several different men, five, and Jesus would call that out. And she actually gave up hope, gave up on God. And Jesus, she starts to say, I know someday we're gonna worship on Mount Zion. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. He says, you know what true worship is? He says, listen, there is a time coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, with your head and with your heart. For they are the kind of worshipers that do what? That the Father seeks. Can I tell you that God right now on the earth is looking for those who would worship him in spirit and truth? But here, here's the last thing that I wanna, I wanna remind you of that you have to get this, this is so cool. That word worshipers in the original language in the Greek is the word proskuneo. Do you know what it means? It means to kiss the hand toward one in token of reverence. It's like when you're going, coming to meet a king and you're so in awe of his presence that you bow down and you kiss his hand. That's my worship. It means in reverence to fall on the knees and touch the ground with your forehead, to bow down as an expression of profound reverence. Have we lost this in the church? Have we lost the awe of God? Have we lost the reverence of the holy? I think we need to get back to the place where we understand that we are coming before the King of Kings. And here's probably my favorite, this, this might be my favorite part of the meaning of the word. It's meaning to kiss like a dog licking its master's hand. And you might think that's weird. Why is that your favorite, Pastor Lynch? You know why it's my favorite? Because you know what the first thing that comes to mind is when I think about that? In about an hour and a half or two hours, after I, I get done teaching Discover class, I'm gonna get in my car and I'm gonna drive home. And there's this little 12 pound Yorkie named Jeter, named after Derek Jeter of the Yankees. Cutest dog you ever seen. When I open that door, he's gonna go crazy. He's gonna start running, doing circles around in the house. He's gonna grab a, a, a little toy in his mouth and bring it to me like, like, a, like a little puppy. Like, I wanna bring you something. I wanna bring you an offering, you know what? Then he's gonna drop that thing like he always does and he's just gonna jump on me and he's gonna start licking me like crazy. That's the word. That's the word for worshipers. That's what that means when we come through these doors. Man, we're so excited. I'm getting there on time. I can't wait. I'm going to do some laps around the church. I'm going to be the first one up there. And I just can't wait to worship Jesus. I can't wait to kiss his hand over and over and over and over again because I love him. I adore him. That's my God who saved me in view of the mercy that he extended to me. I just want you to close your eyes in this moment. It's a holy moment right here, I feel it. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to allow the enemy to reap condemnation on you right now. But I do want you to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to challenge your heart. So I'm gonna ask you again, have we misplaced our worship? 
There was a church just like ours in England. And a pastor felt the same thing in a season. Like, man, what would happen if we took the worship team away and the lights and all the stuff? And what if, what if the congregation was to lead us in worship in our services? And he did that for a period of time. He took away all the, the musicians, all the piano, the drums, took it all away. He said, we're just going to worship as a church. And, and, and the story is that the first Sunday they did that, it was awkward. Nobody knew what to do. Nobody wanted to be the first one to sing out. But as one person started singing out of their heart, created a beautiful sound to the Lord. It might not have sounded good to other people, but it was a beautiful offering to the Lord. Other people started singing and more people started singing and more people started singing. And what rose up is the congregation started leading in worship right out of their heart, not because there's words on the screen, not because anybody was leading him. And the worship leader, a man named Matt Redman, he penned this beautiful song called The Heart of Worship out of that season. And I wanna lead us as a church to get back to that heart of worship. Through this message series, The Altered Life, we're gonna look at what worship really is. And I wanna encourage you to come every single Sunday, not just for butts and seats, but that we're gonna worship God in spirit and truth. We're gonna become those kind of worshipers. But I would be amiss if I didn't end the service by addressing maybe some of you here in the room that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. In other words, you've never said, God, you offered your life for me. I wanna make a decision today to offer my life to you. It's called becoming a Christian. It's called being born again. What happens is when you do that, all your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit is born inside of you and now gives you the power to actually live the life that God has called you to live that you don't have right now. You're trying to do good, but it's not working. And it's because you haven't surrendered your life and put it on the altar. Can I tell you that Jesus did that for you because he loves you so much. And maybe you're here today and that's your first step. You would say, Pastor Lance, I wanna surrender my life to God. I wanna become a Christian. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Just put your hand up. This is an outward expression of you saying, this is what's going on in my heart. I wanna surrender my life to God. I wanna become a Christian. I wanna be born again. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been far from God and you know it. And God brought you here today so you could hear this message, so you could recommit your life to God and say, I've been far from God, but Pastor Lance, I need to make a recommitment to him today. I wanna re-surrender my life to him because I haven't been following him. He doesn't have first place in my heart. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. For the rest of us, here's what I want to ask you to do before we close with the final song. And you have an opportunity to come to the altar. First service got over a little late. We had this, this altar with people that just came forward, just recognized, I need to repent. I need to ask God to forgive me. I, I need to really worship him and put him back on the throne of my heart. I need to lay my life down on the altar. And I'm going to open up this altar here in just a moment. But before we do that, for the rest of us, here's the question I want to ask you. Have you misplaced 
worship? Have you allowed something else to take first place in your heart? And if you have, now's the time to come to the altar and say, God, I'm laying this thing at your feet. I'm putting you back on the throne of my heart.